Beyond the Mask is made possible by the team at CRNA Financial Planning. With almost two decades of experience, the firm guides CRNAs through the complexities of investing and financial planning. Schedule a free consultation today by calling 855-304-3748 or go online to crnafinancialplanning.com. Now, on with the show. The history of the nurse anesthesia profession suggests that regardless of the challenge or crisis facing it, the right person at the right time with the right message was chosen by the membership to lead. This segment of our podcast is entitled The Courage to Lead. We are pleased to highlight some of these contemporary visionary leaders. We want to express gratitude to all and give encouragement to those that will accept the challenge in the future. Welcome to Beyond the Mask, innovation and opportunities for CRNAs with Jeremy Stanley and Sharon Pierce. We know you spend your day caring for your patient's best interests. On our show, we want to care for you. Join us as we leave the operating room and learn the latest in the CRNA industry. Beyond the Mask starts in 10, 9, 8, 7, Welcome to Beyond the Mask. I'm Jeremy Stanley, and I've been working with CRNAs for over 23 years, and I'm married to one. And my co-host is... Sharon Pierce. Sharon's a practicing CRNA for over 20 years, a past president of the ANA, the NCANA, and she's held many other leadership roles. As usual, our goal with every episode is to educate and enlighten CRNAs, and I think our topic today is definitely going to do that. And Sharon, what time is it? It's time to wake up, Jeremy. I think it is. Well, Sharon, back in the studio again together. It's like... uh, what was that? Back in the saddle again? Back in the saddle. Oh, God, please. I mean, sorry. I, I mean, that was kind of, that was your era, wasn't it? Shut up. <laughs> oh, my What do you mean? Lord. I mean, I'm talking about Pierce, you know, music back yes, in the day. Yes, you know, I'm not talking yes, about, you know what yes. I mean. I mean, that was when, you know, Pierce was slim and trim and a good looking guy. Not that he's not good looking he's now. Good looking, you but know. he's not slim and trim anymore. Yeah, yeah. yeah. He, he doesn't have that baby face. I saw no. some pictures on Facebook and I could not believe it was Pierce. Oh, I know. With the porn stash. Oh, I, I didn't. I, <laughs> we're not going down that road. Okay. <laughs> um, oh, God. Well, memories. Memories. That's Fake right. We memories. all have memories. And that kind of brings us to our this. topic today. Absolutely. Another one of our Courage to Lead series. Oh, I and love this series. I yeah. love this series. Yeah, I gonna, learned so much. Well, we'll do one on you one day, you know, because you're past president and oh, you know, we have to we're trying to get all the presidents and you know, that way we've documented what happened during their time and you know, everybody can listen to that and in their car or wherever they're at on the podcast and you know, I think it's great. It was your idea, so Well, I love this series. I think you need to know what your history has been as you're going forward. Yeah. Well, who's our guest today? Oh my gosh. This is my pleasure to introduce Dr. Mary DePaula Sletzo. And let me tell you, I was kind of a newly minted CRNA whenever she was president. And I can remember sitting at the banquet, listening to her and thinking, I want to be AANA president one day. I just thought she was the coolest thing, and she didn't know who I was. <laughs> um, but now, just because I have that past president's pen. So, Mary, 
Thank you for joining us today. I was so happy whenever you sent me back the email saying, yes, I'll do this with you. I think I jumped straight up out of my chair whenever I got the email. Oh, thank you. Sharon. And and Mary, I've heard her say that before. I've never had the pleasure of meeting you before, but I have heard Sharon say that, you know, that it was at that point in time that she knew that she wanted to be president. So you were very influential. Even when we don't know it, sometimes we are influential to all the people around us. And that kind of is the reason we want to get your message out there and what gave you the courage to lead and so forth. So why don't you tell us a little bit about your background and your bio, because you have such a, a significant background and long bio. I, you know, I feel like uh, I wouldn't do it justice, and maybe you can just hit the highlights for us and tell us a little bit more about you. Well, thank you, Jeremy, and thank you, Sharon, for all your kind comments. You were a fine president, so I'm really pleased that you did go on and become AANA president and what you're doing now. These podcasts are wonderful. And congratulations to you also, Jeremy. Thank you. Well, I am one of those back-in-the-saddle era girls. (laughs) Um, Used to love Dale Evans and Roy Rogers. (laughs) Um, I have been a nurse anesthetist, and I should be ashamed to say this, but I was a very young nurse anesthetist since 1968, and I actively practiced anesthesia until 2014, which isn't that long ago, when um, I retired from anesthesia. We moved to a community north of Tampa, and believe it or not, at that time, there even now, most of the hospitals had AAs working in anesthesia, and I was shocked when I found that out. Wow. Since you know, I've been I'm here shocked to hear that. Years, I, I had no clue about that. Mm-hmm. Yes. I, well, huh. I said, isn't that ironic? You know, if I have anesthesia and something happens, I <laughs> going to be by AA. president of AANA succumbs to AA anesthesia, although I'm not <laughs> criticizing them. I mean, but I have never been a proponent of that. So I graduated from Mercy Hospital School of Nursing and then went on to the School of Anesthesia a year later and worked for seven years at uh, Children's Hospital in Pittsburgh and they asked me to become the director of the program. So I was a program director for 15 years of the University Health Center of Pittsburgh School of Anesthesia and I want to shout out to all my wonderful babies who are very accomplished, wonderful nurse anesthetists today, CRNAs, and to all my dear friends in Pittsburgh that I have missed very much. I designed the master's curriculum and moved the program to the University of Pittsburgh, where I remained the director for five more years. And during that time, In all of those years of being a program director, I was very active with AANA. I started being active. The day I graduated, my program director said, all right, you're coming with me. We're going to an anesthesia, a nurse anesthesia meeting. And it was our district level at that time in Pennsylvania. And that was the beginning. And I somehow became social chairman that meeting and went on from there and throughout those years. I really never 
thought of becoming the president of AANA. I just spoke for our people. I spoke for the PANA and for members that I met along the way and certainly in all of my activities and as a program director, I met so many CRNAs from throughout the country. And somehow I found myself running for vice president and then president and I guess the rest is history. I practiced anesthesia, as I said, when I came to Florida, it became a per diem clinical experience for me. There was no academic program right here in this area. And I just was a little burned out and I was had no intention of starting another one. So I had worked for a year clinically to get my skills back and then I became a per diem anesthetist. And when I retired in 14, I had spent the last five years working in the field I love, pediatric anesthesia at All Children's Hospital in St. Petersburg. So I came full circle. I also mentioned that I was a little burned out and I really had never experienced that. I know I had published incessantly. I had spoken on the lecture circuit. I really was uh, all anesthesia. That was my life. I didn't have any priority but anesthesia. I met my husband when I was 37. So in all of those years, my priority was anesthesia. And it took its toll. I was very fortunate to meet John and we married and I've had a very happy life with him. But during that time of moving to Pittsburgh, leaving my friends, just finishing up or really into, I became the Pennsylvania president going in. And then partway through my term, we moved to Florida because my husband had an excellent job opportunity. So put the leaving friends, overwork, <laughs> the heated environment of AANA, which we were dealing with, when that was all over, I really felt it. And I just started looking into other areas and just by coincidence, and of course, nothing is a coincidence. I met a psychologist and it just changed my life. He told me to read What Color Is Your Virtue? Campbell in that book says, look for your bliss, follow your bliss. And I um, studied mental health counseling and practiced for 20 years. I still have an active practice in mental health counseling. And I did it full time after I retired in anesthesia, from anesthesia. Okay, so when you say retired, you're just saying retired from anesthesia <laughs> because it doesn't sound like you're retired. No, I, now I have my counseling practice. The practice is only part-time now, uh-huh. and I just closed my office in the past year. Uh, okay. I had an office, and I was pretty busy, but now I'm a retired old lady, and I... Uh, you know, made masks for this COVID thing. Well, (laughs) you know, uh, I've got to ask you about one thing that's in your bio, which is something that I think I've never seen. But you did a fellowship in human sexuality from the American Academy of Clinical Sexologists. 
Now, yes. you've got to, you've got to give some definition to this for me. The psychologist that I met, we went to lunch, and he said, you know, you should, if you're, he says, you're a nurse, and you'd be a terrific sexologist. I said, what in the world is that? Is that a pickup line? What is this, you know? <laughs> Natalie was a wonderful, dear, fatherly-like man. And that's how, really, my venture into mental health counseling started. I started taking these classes in Fort Lauderdale. I'd go down one, uh, four days a long weekend, a month for over a year, and became a board-certified clinical sexologist. And in the process of doing that and talking with gals at work who were coming to me with issues that were impacting on their work and their marriages, their relationships, it just sort of, I became more curious about the psychology of it. And I'm my first client was a transgender nurse who was having a difficult time transitioning. So I just combined the sexology and advanced and went to graduate school and then got licensed as a licensed psychotherapist. Wow. You are a very interesting lady. That's for sure. Didn't um, I tell you? And yeah. one more thing before we go forward. She was the first doctoral prepared president of the AANA. Wow. So I got my doctorate in 1987, and I really, really believed in structured, organized education. You know, most many people in my era, we graduated from programs that were OJT-type programs. Mm-hmm. Anesthesiologists came in, gave lectures, and they were very good, and we had all the reading. Of course, we were limited in textbooks. Churchill Davidson was our primary clinical textbook, and that was British. I remember nearing graduation, and I was fortunate to be in a Mercy Hospital, had Dr. Ephraim Syker. He's a very well-known anesthesiologist. And then I worked with Dr. Peter Saffer at the University of Pittsburgh, who created ACLS and CPR. And I remember doing a case towards the end of my time as a student, and I asked Dr. Syker, when were we going to use pithidine? (laughs) He said, Mary, that's Demerol, and you've been using it your whole time in anesthesia. (laughs) (laughs) Because all the drugs we learned were British in Churchill Davidson's textbook of anesthesia. So when uh, when I finished anesthesia training, anesthesia school, I knew I wanted to go into education, and I, I continued with my bachelor's in education, my master's in curriculum and supervision, and then my doctorate in higher education administration. And my goal was to have nurse anesthesia programs with a curriculum based on objectives, uh, based on actual testing, based on class time at class time and if my students weren't in class i was calling that anesthesiologist from the op- you know the operating room and saying you know sally jones brent summer he's a famous name in anesthesia one of my grads Brent, um you know brent of course i do yes he's one of my dear grads oh my and goodness. um i if they're not in the operating room doctor I'm sorry, they've got to be here now. And um, they're not in the clinic, excuse me, in the classroom. So 
they'd have to leave the clinical area and come to class and uh, did that for a few years. Of course, had the full support of the chairman. And I was able to do that. And it got to the point where students showed up for class. All right. Well, let's, yeah. let's go back to when yeah. you were AANA president, Mary. And let's talk about some of the things that were going on, the atmosphere and the climate of the time. And say the year that you were president. Well, I was AANA president in 1994 to 1995, and the 90s were very, very heated in anesthesia. All of the presidents of the 90s had to deal with challenges. And I heard you say on one of your podcasts that the right president at the right time is chosen. And I've always believed that. I never looked at myself in that role, but I guess... I was in that role. And we had TEFRA regulations that were altering, TEFRA regulations is Tax Equity Fiscal Responsibility Act. And they were causing barriers to CRNA practice. Regulations were passed regarding how much supervision we needed as nurse anesthetists. There was lack of payment when a CRNA did an actual case. The government was giving the money to the anesthesiologist, thinking we were in some type of assistant role. Even though we were the ones sitting there, two hours, four hours, eight hours, actually giving the anesthesia and seeing the anesthesiologist in the beginning of the case, stopping in and then at the end of the case. Of course, we were not in my facility at the University of Pittsburgh we were always well-respected as CRNAs, and we were taught well, so the anesthesiologists trusted us. But there were parts of the country where anesthesiologists would not even allow the patients to know that nurse anesthetists were in the operating room. HMOs were forming. That sounds like nothing new, but at that time, it was very chaotic. And ASA didn't trust, AANA, AANA didn't trust, ASA. I had always worked in close collaboration and respect with anesthesiologists, and I wanted us to unite to improve the quality of anesthesia throughout the nation. And we made numerous attempts, but it's very difficult. There are strong factions in both organizations that were very anti-physician and anti-CRNA, and that really never came to be at a national level, although throughout the country there are all types of practice patterns. And I guess CRNAs still suffer in many places, and it's the way it has always been. Now, you guys always, back then, I remember this, had a tagline that the president used throughout the year that was a theme to your year. Do you remember what your your theme was? Yes. As I said, I was very forward-thinking in getting my degrees, had my doctorate in 87, became president in 94. So I thought a lot about it, and I chose as my theme, Transform Tomorrow. New rules, new roles, new responsibilities, because that's how I saw the future of nurse anesthesia. I had tremendous, and I still do have tremendous respect for our history. 
and we must know our history so that we make good decisions in the future. So I'm a strong proponent of that. But I also saw that we needed change within AANA, and we needed it to be positive and committed, and we had to make rapid change just to meet the revolutionary changes that were happening in healthcare. You had quite the board of directors, I know. Well, oh, I, think I, had I, I think amazing, I know all of them, but what an amazing board you had. I did. I had an amazing and very intelligent board. Four were future AANA presidents. Chris Zambricki followed me, Nancy Bruton-Marie, and then Dr. Scott Foster and Linda Williams. And Dr. Denise Martin-Sheridan, she went on to become council chairs. Nancy Gondringer, who was still active and Mm -hmm. working with AANA. Dr. Arlene Leffler and Brenda Farmer, Mary Jean Yablonki, they were all past state presidents. And Arlene was very active in politics and government. She knew many ways to get us into interviews with legislators. And we started at the bottom. We looked at AANA infrastructure and went to McDonald University with Ronald McDonald and uh, had very excellent planning people teach us strategic plan. That's pretty neat. And you had Ira Gunn on your board. Oh, Oh, wow. Oh, my gosh. Forgive me forgetting. Ira Gunn, that was her first year and she ran for the board. I used to think she was there to protect AANA from me so that I wouldn't. I had some, for some crazy reason, people, not people, but some people, thought I would sell us out to ASA. And that was so far, so far from anything I was believing or believe today or anything. So it made my year when Ira came to me at the end, and she says, you know, Mary, you did a very good job. Oh. I said, thank you, Ira, <laughs> and hugged her, and that was a perfect finale. So, Mary, why don't we talk about some of the highlights of things you accomplished during your year as president? Or things that happen, because yeah. something always happens. What Tell us the biggest <laughs> blow up. I mean, you know, you go in as president, and you have this idea of what you're going to do, and then something always happens. Did something happen, Mary? Oh, my gosh, January 26th. I was still struggling with <laughs> how we were going to institute a strategic plan, and bang. Day one on ABC had a 60-minute program, and it showed nurse anesthetist very inaccurately an anesthesiologist talked about how we were dangerous to the patients there were false claims it was explosive and it caused an uproar aana had a thousand phone calls within the first 24 hours there were 1300 letters sent to abc news telling them the falsehoods and false claims. We started a a campaign that probably cost us a fortune, but it certainly changed the face of nurse anesthesia in America. It was called Ask Me About Anesthesia. 
and AANA media people created canned videos, canned lectures, news clips, and they were produced and sent out to every station in the nation. The end result of all of that, uh, of course, let me add, members wrote letters, tons of letters to ABC. And we contacted legislators. We had the most exposure with our camera ready art that was sent to every state. And then state organizations ran them on their local networks. The end result were amazing. CRNAs were invited on two other TV programs, the Phil Donahue Show and another. They started writing articles, Newsweek, USA Today, American Nurse, AJN, McCall's talked about CRNAs, Family Circle. CNN had a blurb on nurse anesthetists. And the American Academy of Nursing gave us the media, gave AANA the media award for that year. And I guess I couldn't, I mean, how do you sum up a year that was insane and wild networking, clarification on everybody's part. But an interesting outcome was that CBS this morning, it was called at that time, and ABC Day One both reported that the reporting on CRNAs was inaccurate. And they admitted their faulty journalism. And it was called faulty journalism. A few months later, we heard that day one was going off the air. We don't know if there was a direct relationship there, but it was just an interesting coincidence. It'd be interesting if we could find that piece. Yeah. I don't know if YouTube, you can, I mean, you can find almost anything. But, you know, I wonder if it's in the archives. Whenever I was looking over everything that you did, you established the archives and hired the first archivist that the AANA had. Yes, we did. And I'm sure because the Ask Me About Anesthesia campaign had videos, Jeff. There were CRNA actors, and I'm sure they would have it in the archives. Also, all of the camera-ready art. Evan Koch and I were both very interested in history. And when Peggy McFadden was president, she asked me to give a, a history of nurse anesthesia. And then... Uh, Another time, she asked me to give the future of nurse anesthesia. And I did a a slide tape presentation where I had to flip the slides. And, of course, now the cameras just flip them. And um, that was unable to be put in the archives because I'd need my thumb to go along with the music that was playing (laughs) on the tape. But Evan and I had put together artifacts and we hired an archivist at the time, and I'm sorry I'm blocking on his name, although it is written in um, AAN annual reports. Yes, we've actually had Evan on the podcast before talking about the archives and a lot of different things. He did a great job. You know, what I also found interesting is you guys put together a time capsule and it's supposed to be open in the year 2020. Did I know, and I've tried to, uh, some of the past presidents and members of my board have asked, are they opening it? But with this coronavirus, and 
I haven't been able to contact anyone involved in the archives and the history at mm -hmm. AANA. The offices are generally closed. So I don't know. I'm hoping that they certainly call me if they're planning to open it. I think we should leave it for another five years and see what the next five year brings. But it will be 25 years this year. Well, maybe fact, we need to add stuff in uh -huh. for the <laughs> from this year. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. Well, another thing that you talked about is that every region in the country had different practice settings with different challenges facing them during the times. And you said that y'all kind of revamped the regional directors. Why don't you talk just a little bit about that and how you enhanced that system? We always had regional directors, but I never even knew my regional director, despite all the active involvement I had at the state level throughout the years. I was a former Pennsylvania president, and I only knew about the regional director at that time. So when I got on the board and became director, I communicated very much with my states. Then when I became president, that became something we all did. We activated the regional directors, enhanced their communication. They all had to keep in touch with their states. They were invited to state meetings. They were very visible. They gave an update on decisions we were making with the board. They asked input from members at the Assembly of States and at the annual meeting. We started practice breakouts, which each regional director met at the meeting in person with their state members or representatives. Usually it was the presidents and a few other members from each state. And they met face to face, one on one, and they learned and shared about practice issues because people who worked, and it still is pretty much segregated like that throughout the country. We have those that work with anesthesiologists, we have those that work independently. We have a lot of CRNAs that own their own practices. And I would not like to see the variety of practices not represented at a national level. I can see that right now the AANA is, or some members are considering eliminating regional directors. But even if we change that structure, I really think that we still have varying practice settings in each of our states, and each of our practice settings need to have an equal voice in the AANA. You also, I, I know this is mind-boggling at this point, but you got an IT manager and said everybody needed to be on the internet. <laughs> I know. I can't believe when I remembered that. Greg Reebok was working with IT, and he was working with the council, and they were preparing for the future, computerized CEs, computerized testing. And we asked him to establish Internet communication between at least the board and the staff. And the goal was to get us connected by the end of the year to state presidents. And we had such a difficult time. There was no Google. There was no Internet that was freely. It was freely available. But you had to go through such complicated programs. 
It was so hard. But we did do that. And amazingly, within a year, in fact, in Chris Zambricki's year, they were able to mount a website. So it started with our little, let's get the board members talking to each other. And we finally had email, I think, towards August. It was maybe June or July after I asked him to work on that when we were finally communicating by email. Isn't that unbelievable? <laughs> well, I was PR committee chair in North Carolina in 97 to 98. And one of my objectives that I was given by the president, Terry Wicks, was you've got to get a website set up for the oh, state wow. association. So <laughs> I had never even been on the Internet at the time. And See? yeah, and I got a website set up. Didn't even know how to access it, but we got us a website, and you I had got AOL on. Dial up yeah, <laughs> yeah, and I had to get on. I had to get an email address, and the first email I tried to send to Terry Wicks, I didn't know if it would send, and I kept hitting send, you send, send, it like send. Times. I did, and he called me. He said, "Pierce, are you having a seizure? Quit sending me the same email over and over again." But it seems so so long ago now. Yeah. Well, it sounds like, Mary, you, I mean, you have done so many things. I know that you were politically active as well. I think you had how many testimonies to Congress throughout your time well, period? Well, I, I didn't make those. One of the important things we did was hire a full-time director of managed care and reimbursement. And there were two people, Ken Plitt, CRNA, and you may know Ken, Sharon. Oh, I know uh, Ken. Very active member at the time. And then Billy Burke was the woman at the AANA office. What was her name again? Billy Burke. I remember her. She was originally from Tennessee. A short lady. Red red hair. Red hair. Billy Ken was tall and lean and he was from out west. Yes. But I remember talking to Billy somewhere. Because she had taken dialect courses to get rid of her southern accent. Oh, that's funny. Well, Maybe you could do that. Well, she needs to draw up there at the podium. Yes, but uh. but I, I had told her I wanted to do that. So I called somebody from the School of the Arts here in Winston-Salem, and they wouldn't take me as a student because back then they were teaching classes so that people could learn how to sound like oh, this. Oh, darn it. I hoped you had taken it because I knew it would be the only class you'd ever failed. Shut up. <laughs> You're me. Oh, well, again, I mean, just so many things. So what are some of the, the valuable leadership lessons that you've learned throughout your tenure as president and, and being a CRNA so active? Well, I think that good leaders are not ego-driven, but they're driven by a dedication to meeting the needs of members. I think good leaders need to listen to members. And in this world of today, uh, sometimes only the loudest voices are heard. But leaders, good leaders, have to find a way to hear from the members and keep members informed. A leader will provide adequate information so that the members will make logical, rational decisions. You know, we have CRNAs in our population. We don't have the bell curve of people. We have the creme de la creme of students from a classroom, right. a rational, good thinkers, every single one of them. 
logical science and, mind. Uh, mm -hmm. yes. They can make good decisions, but they've got to know the information. And they know that because the leaders inform them. So what would you like to share with new CRNAs that are coming into this profession or students that are transitioning into this profession? Well, number one, the time you spend with your patients is the most intimate contact you will ever have with a patient in nursing. They entrust us with their lives, and it's an honor every time you pick up a mask. I guess the other part is join AANA. Even if you don't want to get involved, if there were no AANA, there would be no CRNAs. Because AANA is the voice that is speaking to legislators, to the public, to the world at large. And they need your input. And even if you, you don't do research, even if you have no interest in being a politician or, or joining committees, you serve nurse anesthesia and you serve yourself just when you pay the dues and join AANA. We contribute by joining and remaining members for the rest of our lives. Yeah, that's a great point. I think I've heard someone in the room with me <laughs> say that many a times. You know, when I say that, you know, you see the same CRNAs around seem to be carrying the load. Sharon always corrects me and says, no, if they're paying their dues, they're playing a role and a part. So. And then Very you said, good, and then, and then Sharon would also follow up sometimes and say, you know, maybe we don't want all those CRNAs involved <laughs> at the meetings and stuff as well. So, but you know, this is, it's, it's wonderful. I know we could go on with you for hours because you've done so much throughout your career, but I think, I think at this point, why don't you tell us, is there something you'd like to conclude on? Well, CRNAs are still experiencing change. It's not as dramatic as it was in the 90s, but the tides continue to change. Generations continue to turn. I think some of the old members have to allow the younger members to take the reins. We can't hold back with outdated thinking. It's very much what I said in the beginning. Outdated tools, outdated thinking is not going to move us forward. We have so much happening today, and it's going to impact on nurse anesthesia, artificial intelligence, how machines learn, robotics, machine vision. I mean, a, a physician can look inside a human body with just a flick of the switch. 3D printing. I just read in our last news bulletin, a nurse anesthetist talked about 3D printing, where they're printing equipment for ventilators during this time. The proliferation of anesthesia assistance. I warned years ago when I was a, a young president, I had done some research at Emory University and at Case Western, and I saw the AAs were competent. And I thought these people could become a real threat to us because they don't have the medical backgrounds that nursing gives you. And that's the one-upmanship that we have, that critical care nursing capability, that intuition that is built over all of our years in nursing. And they are proliferating throughout the country. 
and increased mobility of CRNAs across state lines. CRNAs are moving everywhere and we've got to make portable, you know, licensure, make it easier for CRNAs to do that. Those are just some of the influences I think we're going to experience now and in the near future. And I would like us to see using our energy at a national level and at a member level for positive, forceful, aggressive movement towards tomorrow. Transform tomorrow and not waste time arguing on things that are have wasted time in our organization. And I would just like to see us. We can't always direct the tides of change, but we must remain unified in spirit and purpose. I think that's a, a great point to end on there. Um, you know, so many times I think in our society, people just want to argue for argument's sake and to prove they're right. And in an association like the ANA, it needs to be brought together for the betterment mm-hmm. of everyone instead of just proving a few people right. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, Mary, thank you. Thank you for all you've done. And uh, I know Sharon as well thanks you for all you did for her and the motivation you gave her to achieve what she's done thus far. But I think she's got a little bit more left in her since, uh, you know, she's in that four-letter school and and going back to get that doctorate. And uh, I think she might have a little bit left in her to do here. So (laughs) she won't tell me what's next, but I know there's something brewing in that head of hers. I think I might go get me a degree and (laughs) (laughs) same thing she did. That sounds pretty interesting. Pierce might encourage you to do that, Sharon. (laughs) I don't know. But but again, thank you, Mary, for being with us today as well. Thank you. It was my honor to be with you and keep carrying that gauntlet, Sharon. Absolutely. Well, Sharon, I think that's a wrap. I believe so. Yep. We want to thank our listeners for listening to Beyond the Mass with Jeremy Stanley and Sharon Pierce. If you like our show and want to know more, check out our other episodes on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. And remember, leave us a review, but only if it's positive. There's enough negativity out there, people. Until next time. It's a wrap. Today's show was made possible by the folks at CRNA Financial Planning, an independent consulting firm that offers financial planning services exclusively to CRNAs and their families. From planning for a child's future college expenses to building a predictable income stream in retirement, the firm is committed to offering you comprehensive financial services, customized to fit your unique needs and objectives. If you have questions about your financial future, get them answered. Call the team at 855-304-3748. That's 855-304-3748. Or go online to crnafinancialplanning.com. And thanks for your support of Beyond the Mask. Hi, this is Jackie Rolls, president of the International Federation of Nurse Anesthetists and president and founder of Our Hearts, Your Hands, a global anesthesia support community that takes donations to allow nurse anesthetists in low and middle income countries to go to educational programs, buy equipment or textbooks. Your donations are tax deductible and we would appreciate your support. 
OSA EMR is a free anesthesia EMR developed by CRNAs that you can download and use on an iPad. Our nonprofit mission is to make sure that solo and small practice CRNAs can digitally record their anesthetics. To learn more, visit OSAEMR.com to download and consider donating to our cause. Remember, for CRNAs, data is destiny. Like what you're hearing? Be sure to subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and anywhere you like to listen to shows. Also, be sure to check out beyondthemaskpodcast.com. Each episode is posted there with a corresponding blog post, and we timestamp important parts of the episode to help you quickly get to the content you're looking for. Also, check out the special series section on the site. You can follow along and catch up on the CRNA History Series, episodes specifically about political conversations in the industry, or try the CRNA Personal Finance Series. It's all on beyondthemaskpodcast.com. And if you have a question for the show or want to be a guest or even suggest a particular topic, fill out the contact form on the site or send an email directly to us at info at beyondthemaskpodcast.com. And lastly, let's take the conversation social. Check out our Beyond the Mask podcast Facebook page and Facebook group.